All right, open your Bibles. We're at Matthew 7. We're at verses 12 through 14. And we're continuing on in our series called Words from the Mountain. And what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And today we're specifically looking at one of Jesus' most popular verses in his most famous Sermon on the Mount. And what you're going to find in this great and popular verse is that everybody seems to love this verse. We all believe in it, we think that it's right, yet we are unable to follow it. At least when we look at our life, we'll say, yeah, I, I like that, what he says, but I can't seem to live that way, even though I know that I should. So the verse is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we love the idea of it, but we can't seem to fully put it in practice. And I think more often than not, we are adopting the idea of it. But we're failing to fight to obey what it calls us to do. And, I, and the reason that that is, is we're going about this verse all wrong. If I can say it this way, we lack the power to live the way that this verse is telling us to live because we're too broad-minded. And we need to be more narrow-minded as we look at this verse, and that will empower us to live the way we're being called to live here. But when you hear broad and narrow-minded, it's not the way. Jesus doesn't use it the way that you're thinking. So let me read it to you. So Matthew 7, 12 through 14 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So if you're going to understand these verses here, you've got to understand the very first word in verse 12. In our text, it says, so. In other Bible translations, it says, therefore. And what that means is it's connecting what is being said to what was previously said. So the question is, is it connected to verse 11 or is it connected to the paragraph that goes before it? And here's what I believe is happening. These verses are actually connected to the entire Sermon on the Mount. So what Jesus is doing right now is he's concluding his great Sermon on the Mount. And he's doing it in one specific way. He's telling us that there are two different types of people. In our verses today, we'll see there's two different gates that represent two types of people. Next week, we're going to see that there's two different types of trees. And the last week, we're going to see there's two different types of houses. And what he's doing, therefore, by connecting these to the entire sermon is, is using this word, therefore. And here's how we know that. Because when you read through the entire sermon on the mount, what you find is that he's constantly talking about there being two different types of people. And here's how he divides them. It's not that there are good people and evil people. What Jesus shows us is that there are pe people who do good. But there are people who do good for right reasons and wrong reasons. Basically, Jesus is getting at the motive. That's what this whole entire Sermon on the Mount is, is he's challenging our motives behind why we're doing what we're doing. So there's two types of people all the way throughout. And today, Jesus is showing you that your motives in what you do are completely dependent upon which gate you walk through. 
So here we're going to look at this broad and narrow gates, but we're going to specifically focus in on these words, narrow and broad. So people will accuse Christians of being narrow-minded. So the question is, are Christians, at the essence of what it means to be a Christian, are we narrow-minded? And the answer is yes and no. So in, in one sense, the Christian will be incredibly narrow-minded and focused in on Jesus, but will be completely broad-minded in other areas. So, let me, let me show you. Jesus says in our verse, because here's what we have. We have this big twist, but so let's look at what people will say about Christianity. They'll say, oh, Christians, you believe that there is only one way, and that's incredibly narrow-minded of you. That's judgmental of you. You should not think that way. And then... You'll see, because they're saying, look, you should, you should all be saying, all the world should say, all religions lead to the same place. Now, there's this famous bumper sticker that says coexist, and that's exactly what they're trying to show us, that there are multiple ways, and this movement is saying, come on. It's arrogant of you to say that Jesus is the only way. But what Jesus says in our verse, and this is the big twist is that the broad way of thinking will lead to narrowness, but the narrow way of thinking will lead to broadness. So this is the big twist. So you enter in, um, and it's broad, but it leads to narrowness, or you enter and it's narrow, and it leads to becoming broad. So it says narrow, here's the verse, it says narrow is the way that leads to life, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So what is destruction? It's a narrowing. So if there was a little black widow spider that was, let's say you've got a little kid on the ground, a little toddler crawling around, and there's a black widow spider crawling up to your kid, what are you going to do? You're going to go and narrow that spider. You're going to squish it. You're going to destroy it into nothing so it doesn't get your kid. So when it says that it's, it leads to destruction, what it's saying is it's leading to a narrowness. But if you enter into the narrow gate, it leads to life, which is an opening up. So what Jesus is saying is that there is a narrowness or a dying to yourself that will make you more broad and a broadness living for yourself that will make you very narrow. So here's the picture you've got to have in your mind. There's two gates before you. One is very narrow. But when you enter through that narrow gate on the other side, there is wide open spaces, there's mountains, there's oceans, there's grasslands that just go on and on and on. It's life. But the other option is a broad gate. But as you enter through this broad gate, what you find is the further along the path you get, the more narrow it gets until you find yourself in the end being squished. You become a more narrow person. You find yourself in this prison that's getting narrower and narrower and narrower. So I want to go back to the coexist person. And they'll say, all religions will lead to the same place. And while it sounds broad, I want to show you that it's actually very narrow. So the coexist person there says there, to say there is one way that it's Jesus, they would say, if I said that to them, they would get very upset with me. They'd say I'm being judgmental. And they would say I have no right to say something like that. But look what's just happened. They have now looked at me with narrowness. In other words, Christianity has a doctrine. And if you're in the mindset of coexist, all roads lead to the same place, then 
if, if, if you think that way, then you'll say, ah, doctrine is bad. But what you have to realize is that when you say all roads lead to the same place, that as well is a doctrine. So I'm being looked at narrow now, and so then what happens is the coexist person is becoming exactly what they hate. What Jesus wants you to realize is that the narrow way will open you up for more grace, more love, and more acceptance in your life. You're, you're becoming broader in love, broader in acceptance, broader in grace. So for the Christian, what Jesus is saying is that there is a doctrine that allows us to become more alive and offer this life to other people and live in such a way where there's more love and more grace and more patience. Because the Christian doctrine is founded on grace. And all these values that Christianity has say, we are seeking after a flourishing city. We're seeking after the good of the city. This is what Jeremiah is talking about in the book of Jeremiah, where he tells us to go into the city and seek the welfare of the city for the good of the people. And it will be good for you to do that. So Jesus is saying to you today, if you enter in through the narrow gate, it will open you up to so much more love and grace for others. And you'll be better equipped. Here it is. You'll be better equipped to follow the golden rule. Now that sounded incredibly narrow-minded. It sounded arrogant because what it's saying is that if you go to Jesus, you're going to be more equipped than had you not gone to Jesus. But the question is, see, the, the other option though is to say, well, that doesn't sound right, but then you're becoming narrow if you're saying that in what I'm saying. So the question you have to ask is, because we all become narrow-minded in our thinking, we're all honing in on a belief. Whether we say there's nothing to believe in at all, that's still a belief. And so we're becoming honed in on it. And so the question we have to ask is, what does the thing that we believe in produce in us and in the world? That's the key question we should be asking. So what I want to argue is that Christianity has the best track record, and it's because actually of the doctrine. So if you look at other religions... All other religion is going to essentially say, escape the world, or destroy the world, or the world is God. And if you, make, if you do that, what I'm, what I'm trying to argue, what Jesus is going to try to argue, is that this is not going to produce a flourishing society. Even if, I mean, I mean it's becoming very popular to say the world around us is God, but I mean, you think about this, and we, we look at the world outside and we say, oh man, look at the beauty that we see, but... If that is our God, we also have to take an objective look and say, but wait, like if you've ever seen a lion go after a gazelle, the world is violent. So that's our God that produces that. Is that what we're going after? And what Christianity is saying is that there's a grace that you find, and Christianity says, look, there's something wrong with the world. There is. It's fallen. But we are fighting to get it back the way it's been meant to be all along. And this will make sense to you when you understand the gate. So this is our, this is our next point, the gate. So what is the gate? Well, upon first read, you might be thinking that, okay, this is what this is saying. If you enter in the narrow gate, that means you're living a good moral life, and that will give you life. But if you enter the broad gate, then you're entering through a bad moral life, and so that's going to give you destruction. And if you read it that way, you would be wrong. Because, look, look, let's think about it. If it's about living a good life, then you have to ask this question, how many units of good 
do I need to have in order to go to the good place? So there's this uh, show that's out right now called The Good Place. Uh, it's a very funny show. Um, I, I love it. However, the idea behind it is there's a good place and a bad place. And if you do enough good, you get to go to the good place. And if you do bad, you go to the bad place. And the show is this dramatization of four individuals who are trying to do good enough so that they'll be worthy of going to the good place. But here's the question you should be asking yourself right now. Have I acquired enough units of good over the units of bad to earn my way into the good place? So let's say we believe that there's a God who will forgive us as long as we have more good than bad. And so let's say that it's 75 units of good get you into the good place, get you to heaven. And let's say that at the end of your life you're at 75 and you did it, but then just right before you're done, you have this bad thought. And now you're at 74.99999 and you appear before God and God says, ah, you almost did it. You just had that one thing. Man, that's too bad. An eternity of hell. And then he just flips you into hell. Like, is that, is that God? Is that what grace is? I mean, because this is how our society is approaching it. If you do enough good, then you're in the good place. And if you do bad, you're in the bad place. Now, some of you are saying, no, no, no. I just think in the end, we're just done. Like, there's nothing. And, and I would just say to that, don't be so narrow-minded. Jesus is saying something much different about these gates. And he's saying, he himself is the narrow gate. It's him. And everything else is the broad gate. So Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Him. He's the narrow gate. Everything is directed towards Him and going through Him. We have to go through Him to the Father. All throughout the Bible, we keep hearing Jesus is the way to everlasting life. But we've got to go through Him. So again, so narrow-minded of me to say that. Yet the question is, what does it lead to? So I want to say, let's see what happens. If Christ is the gate, what does it produce in so if Christ is the gate, here's what it means. It's not based off of your record of right and wrong, but Christ's record of right and wrong. So you pass through him who has a perfect record and you are able to enter through because he is the one who's clothing you. He's, out, he's around you. He is the gate through which you pass through. So there's this place in the Gospel of Matthew where when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain of the temple is torn. Now, it's not coincidence that it just so happens that when Jesus dies, there's this curtain in the temple and it's torn. Because that curtain in the temple represents, this is the place you pass through to get into the Holy of Holies. Which is the place where God is most present. And when Jesus dies on the cross, uh, what it's saying is that the curtain of the temple is ripped in two. And now everybody has access into the presence of God. Where before, it was the high priest who would enter in once a year into the Holy of Holies. Now, by Christ being the great sacrifice, he rips a hole through this chasm that keeps us into the presence of God and all are welcomed in through him, the gate. So while Christianity... So, and, 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 and look at this. It's not anymore based off of merit. You can't base it off of merit. You can't base it off ethnicity. You can't base it off of where you're born. You can simply only base it off of the gate, who is Christ. 
through which you enter through. So he was ripped open, so we have a gate to go through. And if you think about it, like the gate is narrow, if it's not him, that leads to heaven, and it will squish in on us because of our sin. So Christ becomes the gate that opens up a way for us to get in. And the other thing I want you to realize is that the broad gate, while it seems broad at first, it actually becomes incredibly narrow in our thinking because if you are thinking to yourself, okay, well, everything leads to God. Well, here's what happens. You develop this whole religion in your mind of right and wrong, and then what's happened is you've adopted one religion that only you will know, and no one else can know because it's based off of your own doctrine that's in your head, and so you have actually become incredibly narrow in your thinking because nobody else can actually adopt what you're taking on because you're the only one who knows it. And essentially, what you need to realize is that you need a Savior. And He was the one who helped open up a way for you to get in. And without him, you can't. And that leads us to realize something, again, that's narrow, is that the golden rule can only be truly followed after you enter into the gate who is Christ. Again, it's narrow, but let me, let me just, let's just trace this out. If you enter the broad gate, if you enter the broad gate, then you have no room in the end, because it's getting narrow, you don't have any room for anybody else. So you enter down this gate that's broad, and it becomes more and more narrow, and guess what that means? You don't have room for people. And so this idea of treating people as you would like to be treated, you need to have space in order to love people. But you're getting squished, and as you get squished, love is being squished out of you. So the broad road will lead to narrowness and self-absorption. And you won't have a choice because you're getting squished. So, but if you enter by the narrow gate, it opens up all of this space for room for people to be with you and for you to love them and you don't have to worry about getting squished. So think about it this way. If you're dying, you're not going to be very good at helping other people. You never go into a hospital seeing someone fighting for their last breath and then a nurse walks in and sneezes and then this person who's on their last breath say, pop up and say, oh, do you have allergies? I've got some allergy medication. Would you like to take some? You don't see that because they're fighting for their life. And that's what happens when you enter in the broad gate. You become more narrow and narrow and narrow, and you don't have room to love people in your life. They're being squished out. And you probably know this type of person, because here's what happens. When you start getting more and more narrow, you've got to figure out how to survive, and to, do, to follow the golden rule, you end up doing it for your own sake. So, so you say something like this. I mean, this is the type of person. They become incredibly angry and judgmental and miserable. And here's where we see Jesus is getting at the motive here. So that's why all throughout the sermon on the mount, Jesus keeps calling people hypocrites. So the person who goes down the broad gate, here's what they need. They offer up these prayers. They offer up fasting. But they need to have everybody see them. And the reason they so badly need to have everybody see them is because those people become their mediator. Those people become their validator. Those people are the ones who are seeing what they do good so that then they, at the end of their life, can appear before God and say, look at what everybody said about me, God. 
Look at the good life I lived. I prayed, I fasted, everybody saw it. So now I've done it. And so what ends up happening is when you enter the broad gate and you become more narrow, you start doing a bunch of good things for your own sake. And when you do it for your own sake, it's no longer love anymore. And so you're not treating people the way that you would like them to treat you anymore because all you can think about is yourself. So, so people know they need to be good enough. And so what they end up doing is trying to figure out how to score up enough points by using the people around them to function as mediators and what they need to find, what we need to find, what you need to find, I need to find, is instead of so desperately wanting the validation of others to realize that we have a mediator who has already done everything that's required of us and we're set and we're good and who is now saying to his father in heaven, hey, he is mine, she is mine, I am theirs and I died in their place and I gave my record fully to them. So there's nothing to prove anymore, and now you become free. You don't have to rack anything, rack up any points. So, in order for you to follow the golden rule, you need a mediator. You need to know everything's okay. You need to know that you aren't being squished, so you're not using people, and you're not fighting to earn the love of God. And once you realize that, you're free to up to now actually love the way you've meant to be the way you're meant to love. And if the whole world would follow the golden rule, everything would change. Wars would cease. We'd approach life completely different. And hate hatred, here we go, hatred for those who think differently than you politically would cease. Alright, so so Politics are about to get super hot. Uh, this happened four years ago. I watched it happen. It was pretty tragic for me because I saw friends, even people within the church, have different views politically, and I saw their friendship wither away, waste away, and I saw them not be for each other, but be against each other. And I've heard this so many times. Someone will say, I don't know how you could be a Christian and be a Democrat, or I don't know how you could be a Christian and be a Republican. And if, if the two sides would just say this, all right, let me just try it this way. If they think this way, and I think a different way, and I want them to listen to me so that they understand me, then maybe it means to love one another as, to love others as I want them to love me means I need to just listen to them and hear them out. And then a conversation starts. And it doesn't mean at the end of it, you both agree with each other politically, but, it's, but it does mean that there's unity and there's love amongst each other. So, as a pastor, when I see people in the church fight over politics, what it looks like to me is, I mean fight like, not like, hey, we're, we think differently and we're friends, but like, it gets heated. What it looks like to me, like, like mean heated, it looks to me like two little kids trying to build up a treehouse. And they both want a treehouse. And, and look, I know... I'm not saying Republicans and Democrats want the same treehouse. Don't, don't miss the point here. What I'm saying, just get the picture of what I'm trying to say here. That both want to build a treehouse. And they can't figure out how to get started because they want different ways to do it. So then one walks away, the other starts building it up. And that one walks away, the other one comes in and tears it all down. Now, uh, here's what I'd like to propose to you. In politics, there are two types of people. Jesus has been talking about these two types of people. The first type is the type of person who could be a Republican or a Democrat, but 
they enter the broad gate. And by entering into the broad gate, what it means is they're so desperately looking for a savior and they have made their savior politics. And then watch what happens. So they enter the broad gate and whatever side in politics they are on, they get incredibly more narrow. And here's what happens. If politics is their savior and someone thinks differently than them, then their savior becomes in jeopardy and they've got to fight for their savior. So now that person has just become their enemy because they entered the broad gate and it led to narrowness. Now, if this other type of person enters in the narrow gate, whether they're Republican or Democrat, here's what happens. It opens up and their savior is Christ. And so they don't have to like fight for politics as if somebody who doesn't agree with them is gonna destroy their life because they're making a bad decision on some vote. What they realize is, I have a savior, he's got me, all is good. And so then they can have a conversation with grace and love and patience. And they're not as concerned about converting someone to their political side, but they're seeking to worship together and find Christ and to see the glory, beauty, and worth of Christ more so than anything else. And this is not just in politics. You watch yourself, and I bet you are doing this more than you realize. You've, in some places in your life, you've entered this broad gate, and you're beginning to have to push people out of your life. You're beginning to have to judge people. You're beginning to have to look down on others because there's no room for love because you're being squished. So many Christians forget the promise of the gospel, and they feel incredible guilt and shame in their life, and they got to do something about it. They're getting squished by it. So what do they do? They look at other people, they see what's wrong with them, and they judge them so they could push those people down, so they could lift themselves up, so they could feel a bit better about themselves, so they can feel like, I'm earning it, I'm earning it, because they have lost sight of the promise of the gospel that their sins are completely forgiven. Every single one of you need to enter into the narrow gate who is Christ. If you're not a Christian... It's being offered to you. If you are a Christian, it's likely that you have not fully gone in all the way with Christ. There's areas of your life where you're leaving him out, and it's messing you all up. So he is the gate to enter into. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And now the question becomes, he says this line, why is it so hard down this narrow gate? Well, because... It's impossible to do on your own. You can't go down this way on your own. You need him. So while it's hard, though, and you need him, here's what happens. He says in another place in Matthew, Jesus says, All of those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. Christianity is both a pull into the gate and then a push down this new path of loving people as you would have them love you. It's a push to become who you're made to become. And you go with the force of Christ behind you, strengthening you to become who you're meant to be. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.17, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Christ is your only gate to enter into that will give you the strength to follow the golden rule. And do you know that when you become a Christian, you don't get what you deserve. 
You get what Christ deserves. In your place, he died and he credits you with his perfect record. And look at this. This is the last thing I want to say. He is crucified outside of the city gates, it says in Hebrews. So here's the picture you get. There's the gate. He's crucified outside of it. He exits heaven, you might say, the eternal city. And there, in this outside of the eternal city, he's crucified. And watch what happens. Death and hell close in on him and crush him, destroy him. And then in the resurrection, he takes death and hell and he pushes back. And now we, who are sinners, outcasts, misfits, and rejects, have a door or a gate to enter into, into eternal life, because he has come for us. Go to him now, enter in through the gate, and live the life that you've always been meant to live in him. I'm pray for you. God. We pray that you would help us make sense of this. God, I pray that if there's something that I said that uh, is misunderstood, I pray that your spirit would give clarity. Um, I pray that if there's anything wrong that I said that wasn't of truth, that you would remove that, and that truth would ring loudly in our hearts and in our ears and in our minds. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.